You're listening to a Mornings with Kelly and Steve podcast. Be sure to check us out every weekday morning from 6 to 9 on Moody Radio. But it is time for us to dive into our question today with Professor Elizabeth Smith. She is the field chair of education and counseling program head and associate professor of children and family ministry at the Moody Bible Institute. Well, good morning to you, Professor Elizabeth Smith. Good morning. Okay, tanning butter. Tanning butter. That's first. That's I've heard of it. Yep. Seems awkward, but I've heard of it. And it does seem a little early for the Midwest, but again, your optimism, I mean, you two are the most optimistic radio hosts in the United States, bar none. So I'm going to take that optimism and just lean into that, though I don't think I'm breaking out any body butter. No, no tanning butter. No, okay. that's all right. Well, Sorry. You, you, you know, another tip, too. <laughs> get some cardboard, cover it with aluminum foil, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then just... <laughs> Hold, hold that under your face, and you'll do. You'll get nice coverage. Wear your flip flops you, into the into the into the classroom today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They won't mind there at the institute. You can tell them we said it was and okay. Yeah. Now I'm gonna look up and go. Okay, what kind of weather am I gonna have in Chicago today? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what's coming ahead of me. So I'm like, oh, that'd be a good idea to figure that out. Let's see. It's 32 right now and foggy. Oh, shock! I think we've been living <laughs> under fog advisory for almost two weeks. That's yeah. it. But we're going to hit 44 degrees this afternoon, partly sunny. It's a banner day, it right? Is. Why, I, I, bought, I wore a coat. Why? Well, I was silly. No coats at 44 degrees. Not mm. in the Midwest, people. No, no, no. We're hardy people, aren't we? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, you Absolutely. Said, you said your struggle is to figure out what's coming the next day, and it seems as though we have a generation of young men whose big struggle is figuring out how to get on with their lives. Life and be responsible. Why? Well, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a there was an article out there that um, kind of discussed this uh, challenge. It was written by Russell Moore, and he wrote a piece why young men are failing to launch, um, and they're just having a hard time. Yeah, I think the picture he looks is a is a young man having a hard time getting off the couch. Um, it they're looking at this generational slothfulness as even a bigger concern than some of the other challenges that we see a lot on the news, like gangs and violence and promiscuity and drugs and alcohol and pornography. And they're like, you know, what's the main issue? And it really is a generation that has very low motivation. Um, and so in looking at that, it's, it's pretty tough. Maybe you guys have felt it in Indiana. I know we have in Chicago. If you go into restaurants, a lot of times they'll say, hey, we're low on staff. Mm-hmm. We're low on staff, so it's going to be longer wait times. Well, why? Where is the staff? Well, usually that's talking about older adolescents, emerging adults, or young adults, and they are not taking those positions as much as they used to be. So we're feeling it, and I think because now it, uh, we're feeling it across uh, across a couple different um, industries that it's grabbing the attention of people about where is this hopelessness, the lack of ambition, uh, what we could call slothfulness, where is this coming from and, and how did we get to this place? So that's kind of the topic of, that's a, in a lot of uh, different journal articles out there right now. Well, where do you feel that it's coming from? Because I look at it and you're, you're right. I mean, it, 
I thought maybe, you know, at first, um, because this is even, I was thinking driving in this morning to the radio station, so much has changed since COVID. And I wondered how much COVID had come into play with all of that because COVID changed a lot of things. I was just thinking of industry, um, fast food restaurants, other places of business, because I'm waiting for something to happen where I need the services of other people, and we just can't seem to get the ball rolling because there, there's not enough people. There are not enough resources, and I'm just thinking, what on earth is going on? Where are all of the workers? And you're right. There, there are tons of uh, jobs open where I am, but no one wants to fill them. Mm-hmm. And these these young men that are having a problem launching I'm, I'm not understanding, you know, where does this problem begin? Is it with them? And where is their sense of hopelessness coming from, Professor Smith? Is it with their mm-hmm. parents? Where, what do you see? Yeah, no, and I'd, uh, I think you're asking the right question. There's a number of questions we could ask. But the first one is, you know, where is this coming from? Russell Moore makes the point in his article, and I would agree with him, we don't want to commit uh, what's called what, what could be called generational narcissism, meaning that our generation, the older generation, that we're looking at their generation and we're looking past and we're like, oh, look at them, you know, look at the mistakes they've made. Or if they, if you are the young adult and you're looking back and going, look at the mistakes my parents made, we just end up, t- you know, kind of taking pot shots at each other versus really trying to figure out what has happened systemically within our culture that could have. Um, actually kind of fueled the flames of this kind of issue. And I would say there's a couple of things. One is there was a huge shift in uh, children's ministry from the end of the 1900s, even until recently, in which no longer was the question, what did you learn in Sunday school? It was, did you have fun? It wasn't, did you pray? Have you memorized scripture? What is the lesson you are studying it was, did you have fun? What games did you have? What snacks did you have? And so church is supposed to be fun. It's going to be fun. And then youth group, fun. Uh, the other thing I think that happened as they were growing up is that if you participated in a game, everybody gets a trophy because we don't want anybody to feel bad. So let's all get a trophy. And then I think the third thing is that the calendars of families made a big shift. It used to be that church was a non-negotiable. And we went Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and sometimes Sunday nights. And we were a Christian family, and therefore the calendar of the church and the holy habits of the church family is really what defined us. But that began to shift. Oh, so we can't have Wednesday night because we have soccer practice. And I might not come Sunday morning because the traveling team is going somewhere else. And the activities of the world, which the activities in and of themselves may not be bad, but what was bad is that they took priority over the meeting with God's people, praying with God's people, serving God's people with your spiritual gifts, learning from the pastor. I love in Corinthians, faith comes from the hearing of the word. And I believe the context means that your faith will come from somebody preaching the word of God at you, instructing you in the word of God intentionally. And so when you have fun, nobody ever feels bad and no longer is the church and running our lives around that the main focus, you end up with a generation who has lost their identity in what it really means to be a Christian. Um, And when we take away some of those identity markers um, of what does it mean, um, how does your faith inform your identity, and then along with that, because they never felt that, everybody got a trophy, 
you you didn't you weren't a hardier people. They're not hardier. We didn't let them feel bad. You build resilience in the face of adversity. Nobody builds resilience when life is fine. I mean, you're having other people rescue you. You're not having to problem solve and figure it out for yourself. Um, so because we didn't encourage that resiliency and problem solving, here they are. I don't know what my identity is. I don't really know how to live it out in the church. I'm not sure what that looks like. And if, I'm kind of afraid of doing that now because what if I fail? I don't know how to handle failure. I don't, I don't know how to handle that kind of challenge. So they end up seeking that identity and that intimacy and relationship in things like video games. You can get your little headset on, talk to somebody else in another state, and, and that's my friend. Or you could, um, some guys really like watching lots of football or lots of team sports. When you're watching it, they actually feel like they're a part of the community. That's my team. Like, we've got the Super Bowl coming up. And by the way, I really do have a team I'd like to win. So that can be fun. But it's not something I do all the time. Or it's not what my week revolves around. But if they do revolve around their life, around different teams, they're finding ways of building community that are artificial. They're through video games. They're through, you know, cheering on football teams or even pornography. If they are doing the recent research on men who are dependent or addicted to pornography, what are you looking for? Besides the obvious answer of sexual pleasure, what they're looking for is emotional intimacy. Because when they are watching pornography, it's like, who describe this person that you're watching or these people. They feel invited. They're wanted. They're pursued. Um, they feel like the person is for them. And so there's a lack of intimacy. If there's a lack of intimacy in their life, either, with, and, and it's, you know, I'm thinking of Christians within their Christian life, there's a lack of intimacy there, or a lack of intimacy within their family, families and close friends, then they're finding artificial means of having that intimacy. And again, pornography or video games or uh, cheering on sports teams, TV, whatever. Um, and uh, actually, there's a new term that's come out. It's called intimacy anorexia. And the generation that this younger generation, especially men, are living kind of with this intimate anorexia where they don't know how to create those kind of emotionally fulfilling relationships with real people um, that actually have challenges in them and because relationships can get messy. But they're so afraid of failing because they've never done this. They haven't been taught this. They don't know what it looks like um, besides fight or flee, the, the third response of, as humans is we freeze. We just freeze. We're, we're afraid. We don't know what to do. So I would say looking at this philosophical generation of which it's kind of grabbed everybody's attention, looking the, at the underlying fears, messages that they picked up as they were growing up, what has gotten them frozen? What are they afraid of? And if we can deal with that fear, help them navigate to build true intimate relationships, I think we're, gonna, we're taking a really good step forward and helping them to address any kind of slothful behaviors in their own life. Well, you know, Dr. Smith, one of the things that, you know, we need to be aware of is that this is really not something new. It is an old story told in a different way. I mean, think of it, you know, this was the challenge of Benjamin Braddock in The Graduate. What was he going to do? He took an entire, you know, gap summer to figure out who he was. But this is a little bit different today because as you brought up, that forgotten generation aspect is that 
I have no confidence in myself because I haven't been built up. There's been an absence maybe of leadership in the home. There's been an absence absence of father figures. They're leading to that fear of failure, right? But mm-hmm. you brought up another thing here in flight, fight, and freeze. Well, the fourth is fawn. And there is a troubled, troubled mm-hmm. aspect of this, which is, the the concept of being fawned over by an overprotective parent, or as you said earlier, everybody gets a trophy, right? When mm-hmm. we are doing that to our children, we are not doing them any favors. We are protecting them, but we're also creating this sort of bubble wrap. And then when that bubble wrap needs to come off and you need to actually go out and face the world, it is debilitating, debilitating mm-hmm. to that kid. Yeah, you're 100% right on that. Yeah, and I and I do think most parents who fawned over their kids, their their goal certainly wasn't to create a lack of emotional resilience uh, in their children. They actually thought, what do good parents do? Good parents protect their children. I mean, we have a wonderful Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is our refuge. He is our strength. He is who I run to. He protects. He provides. But when we as human parents don't allow our children to grow up and learn how to do that for themselves when we're not constantly solving their problems. Um, You're going to have to watch your kids hurt. You're going to have to watch your kids fail. And that's a painful thing for parents to do. So if your kid's having failure to launch, addressing some of these issues and then saying, make sure you address your own as well. You're going to have to step back. They're going to go to maybe a job interview and they're not going to get it. They're going to apply for a graduate school, and they're not going to get in. They're going to ask somebody out on a date, and they're going to get rejected. All of those hurt. All of that hurt. But hurting is a part of the human experience. And in our hurt, they need to learn to run to God. They need to learn to to strive for themselves to get godly counsel. Um, And we have to allow them to go through affliction so that they can build that hardiness of the soul. They can build that emotional intimacy uh, with real people in real time. Um, and that is a hard thing for parents to do. And I, I sympathize with that because I'm a parent and I hate when my kids aren't happy. You know, I hate when my kids' friends aren't happy. Like when Eric, your lovely producer, Eric, isn't happy, I'm so sad. I want Eric to be happy all the time. Um, so we just get sad and it gets really hard, but we have to let, we have to let people bear their burdens and then we can come alongside them and go, Hey, let me help you bear your burden, but I'm not going to take it away from you. Professor Smith, what about, um, what about these, these young men who are advanced enough where, how do I say this? You, You know, you've given us some great advice for really young people, for parents to, avoid this situation of, um, you know, essentially allowing their, their, their kids to become crippled to where they, they won't leave the house. They, they're overprotective. They don't allow them to work through failures and disappointments and things like that. So they develop resiliency. I, I hear you loud and clear what you're saying there. But how do we help this generation that has already uh, failed to develop the resiliency, and now they're sitting in the house, they're down in the basement, they're refusing to leave, they've got the anxiety, they've got no sense of purpose, they have no sense of identity, and, um, you know, maybe mom and dad are really just frustrated, and there's tension in the family, and 
there's not a sense of encouragement. There's you know the 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 young man who's not launched. He's he's got no motivation whatsoever, and mom and dad are just really angry at this point. Or worse, they're just as apathetic as he is. What do we do in this situation? How do we help that young man? Yeah, I I think the. Uh, you know, if you're seeing those kind of behaviors, to take a deep breath and realize that under the behavior is something that is motivating that behavior. It's something something is motivating the lack of motivation. And I understand how weird that sounds, right? I'm motivated with a lack of motivation. Um, and usually, I mean, the research would say the number one motivation is fear and anxiety. Um, there's an anxiety of I feel I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I'm afraid of going out and failing. I'm afraid you'll be disappointed in me. So being able to have authentic conversations of saying, um, you know, being able to ask those questions. But I would say even before asking the questions, um, if you look in the book, uh, if you look in scripture, there's 59 verses that talk about slothfulness um, and or laziness. Now, slothfulness and laziness are two different things. Uh, They're obviously connected, but laziness is more like the behaviors. We can all be lazy. Um, I'm going to confess, my alarm went off this morning. Everything in me wanted to turn it off and go back to sleep. Yep. I wanted to be lazy, but I had to, at that moment, go, okay, this is my laziness. Get out of bed. And I got out of bed, right? But we can all be tempted to not do what we need to do. Slothfulness is when there is an, it's an attitude underneath it of not, of just not working, of not engaging, um, and by and that slothfulness, um, most research would say is underneath that, and I think scripture would too, that there is a there is a fear underneath that. Um, you know, and that and then if they can understand that by not by not working, by not investing in our lives, um, by not investing and really working on ourselves, that it will ultimately lead to our own self destruction. Um, in fact, Proverbs twenty one twenty five says, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. And the question is, why Why would you purposely do something that's going to destroy your life? It, fear can be that big. Not knowing can be that big. So having conversations with us, and then we are imitating, Scripture also says, you know, imitate those around you who are being diligent. So we have to ask ourselves, am I diligent in Bible study? Am I diligent going to church? Do I make sure I just don't skip out on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning because, you know, I've got to go watch a football game or do something? And that doesn't mean that you, we're not going to get legalistic, but there has to be priorities in our life in which we sacrifice other things to live out the priority. Is church a priority? Is sitting under a pastor's teaching a priority? Um, I would even say to the listeners of your program, is it your priority to listen to this so that your mind is being challenged and, and the worship music being played is leading you to worship? We want to have our children that are of this age um, to see that we are people they can imitate because of the rhythms and the practices of our life. So the, the slothful person needs to have those people they can model after, and then they need to find a space to have those honest conversations where they can be vulnerable and say, I'm really scared of, and tell you whatever they're really scared of. Well, I love that we are talking about pointing to church and scripture. Uh, 
But I want to draw a contrast because in preparing for this, I was looking at some of the things that are available to us today, and I'm Mm. absolutely floored by a cottage industry that is actually – this really truly exists. And I think they have more power over culture than a lot of other things that point to God. I'm going to share with you a little bit about – Uh, an organization, I'm not going to name the organization, but much like you would send someone away uh, to deal with a traumatic experience or to deal with their addiction, there are literally organizations and places that you can go to prepare to enter into adulthood. This is their entire focus mindfulness-based, clinically sophisticated programs that help struggling young adults discover their inherent goodness and overcome the obstacles that prevent them from launching into a healthy and productive life. Now, part of what they do is have programs come and live on our campus, pay us thousands of dollars, X number of dollars for a certain amount of days. This is their curriculum, meditation and mindfulness, emotional regulation, yoga, martial arts, adventure and recreation, community service, daily check-ins, groups. Well, okay, I understand this, but we have prepared or underprepared. We've underdeveloped and not given people the life skills to get out there in order to do this. And when we see the failure of how culture has transformed. We went from an agrarian society where kids grew up on the farm and dad was their leader and dad helped, you know, teach them and they worked and they learned all of those things. And then as we hit the industrial revolution, things changed in the household. And then we got to dual income households, whether that was by choice or necessity. And then we dealt with latchkey kids and those latchkey kids then produced other generations. And we find ourselves in this place today where we see God's design in the home is the core for how the world functions properly and doesn't break down. And now culture has brought us to this place where we can send our young adults to go learn the skills and get over the fear of getting out in the world and facing the things that bring them anxiety or bring them fear. And all of that teaching has gone away, which leaves it to this. We're going to trust that somebody else is going to teach our, our, a, an entire generation, possibly, how to go out there. And nowhere does it say anything about who they are made in the image of God, or that God is sovereign and that God will not leave you. And that, you know, I don't think that Joseph needed to go for yoga, emotional meditation, and martial arts in order to figure out his quandary of being chucked in a cistern, you know, I mean, those are, these are, those are things that have happened, but we all need to recognize God's place in this and not fall to the things that the culture is going to offer us to fix it. Mm-hmm. No, and I think you're right. I, I would say a couple of the goals of that are not bad at all. Self-regulation is, is really just referring sure. to self-control. But in exercising self-control, the power of self-control comes from the Holy Spirit, Galatians five twenty-two and 23. Yep. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Yep. And are we therefore pursuing that relationship with God in order to have that self-regulation? A lot of times with yoga or meditation, 
the key idea is slow down, stop being distracted with everything. But instead of focusing inward to your inner energy or whatever, it, if you can slow down and say, wait, I'm going to check in with myself. What, you know, how am I feeling physically, emotionally? You know, what am I thinking about? How are my relationships? You know, Paul encourages us to examine ourselves. And in his context, he's like examining yourself to make sure you're saved, to know the gospel and that you've accepted Christ. So make sure that you are saved in salvation. But I think the idea of examine yourself, sometimes we get so distracted with the things of the world, we don't even recognize our own needs or what is going on. And therefore, we shove things to the side, we don't address things, and before you know it, we're in a whole big mess. So some of, isn't it interesting how there are some good things, but how the world can just pollute it? Yeah. And then they end up slowly pointing you in the wrong direction. I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, you should have self-control. You should slow down and check in and take care of your body and your mind and your emotions. Right? You should be meditating. But what are you meditating on? God's word. You know, you should be mindful living in the here and now so that you are walking with God moment by moment. Of course, you should practice and work on the skills of self-regulation and good communication. That needs to be done with the power of the Holy Spirit and that our communication, it is to be peppered or it is to be like salt, you know, as described in Scripture. It should absolutely have Scripture um, informing and underlying all the things that we talk about and how we talk about things with one another. So, yeah, I would say that it's uh, my, well, some of the topics may be okay. It's just going to take you in a wrong direction. Yeah. And then it certainly protects you from, do your homework. Well, it's not always fun. Right. Yeah, you'd be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. hard. Yep. Good. Good answer. It's hard. Yep. It's not fun and it's hard, but it's what's going, it's what you need, you know, which yeah. you, it's what you need in order to grow up. Yeah. And so sometimes we do the un. We don't. We do the uneasy things. We do the hard things because of, of not only what we learn, but who we become in that learning process. Um, and so, teaching children that, uh, and then the young adults. Sometimes you just don't get to do what you want to do. I used to tell my kids, I would tell them clean their room or, you know, mow the lawn, whatever. And I would say, this is you know, these are the chores that need to get done in the next day or two. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. And I'm like, that is perfectly okay. You do not have to want to. You just have to. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot I don't want to do. I don't really want to scrub that toilet or do that laundry. But you know what? I have to. So learn to have to. And we're going to do it right away, all the way, with a happy heart. No complaining or grumbling. Philippians 2.14. Not going to listen to it. We're not arguing. We're not complaining. We're going to practice being content. Um, but those are the kind of things that we can even rehearse, not only for ourselves, but with the young adults. And if you have a failure to launch person living in your home, thinking through, how am I living out the faith? How can I encourage them? What are some of those things we say around our house to make sure God's word is really what's informing us? And realizing that life is meant to be lived and the hard parts of it, the difficult, the challenging, the disappointing parts. Um, honestly, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. The God never, ever allows something in our life whose intent is not good for us. Yeah. It's meant to make me stronger. So it's got a good purpose. It's just not going to feel good, and it doesn't mean it is good. But uh, we can trust a good God with that ultimate plan. Yeah. Amen to that. 
Woot. I was about to ask you, uh, Professor Smith, if you had a final word of encouragement, and I, you just you spoke it right there. That's it exactly. Yay. Man, this has been so good this morning. We have uh, really I, – I could keep you for another couple of hours, but we've really run out of time this morning. But thank you for this. This has been enlightening and helpful. Mm. Oh, you guys are so kind. Yeah, no, I love – talking to you you know that and this is this is really something that has grabbed the attention of um of a lot of different places there's research coming out about what's going on with this generation and um where is this underlying slothfulness hopelessness despondency all those kind of things so having conversations about it we're not going to find the magic key um but i do think scripture gives us some keys and i love Mm -hmm. having these kind of conversations with you guys and um, hopefully we all walk away better from it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's worth the effort, and it's, uh, oh my goodness, just keep keep praying for your young people and yeah. keep making the effort and, and pouring into them the way God mm-hmm. has directed, because His way is the way that leads to life for all of us. Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith, see, I keep, I no, wrote it down, it. It's professor. It's 2024, people. No, nope, it's 2024. I become a doctor this year. Let's just, <laughs> let's just be prophetic. Mm. Let's be you know. appropriately prophetic for the moment. We can go He's complete. going to get it done, people. That's, we'll just, yeah, never mind. I Look, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this to Steve. What did I write down on this piece of yes. paper? Professor in big letters. <laughs> and still, yep. this is just my respect for you. In my eyes and heart, you are a doctor. Oh. Oh, thank you so much. I am so grateful. Yeah, you guys are. I'm very thankful for you and the ministry that you have. And I just look forward to talking to you whenever you want to have me on. We can have more great conversations. Sounds good. To start our day. Well, Professor Soon to be Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us. And we will connect with you you again soon. And remember if you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to pray, but maybe your way would be better. <laughs> it's We're talking about cultural resources and their solutions, yeah. right? Oh, my right? goodness. That's theirs, sure. Just yes, it, it and is. And build it, and they will come. Huh. That's I right. Think that's an idea. I think this I think is where... we rely on the Lord, but thanks anyway. This yeah, is where exactly. we'd better take a break before we start getting some bad emails and letters. <laughs> oh, I know. Thanks, Professor We're all going to get in trouble. All right. Thank you. You guys have a great day. You Enjoy too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life.